Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. The discussion around bringing back a mask mandate is intensifying. Student associations want lower tuition fees for international students. Should cities continue to put up a nativity scene at Christmas? People with Parkinson's are getting some help from McMaster students. And medically assisted death is being used in a marketing campaign. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. When it's difficult to keep that distance or to avoid a face-to-face, then wearing a mask is very reasonable and encouraged. That is the president of the Ontario Medical Association, Dr. Rose Zacharias, who's going to be a guest on Good Morning Hamilton tomorrow. And it sounds like... Ontario, or at least some cities in this province, may soon reinstitute a mask mandate. At least they're, they're having this debate right now to ward off an increasing rate of viral illnesses this winter. In our daily poll yesterday, we asked you, do you want these mask mandates to come back? 61% of you said no. But should they? Dr. Colin Furness is an epidemiologist and assistant professor at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Information and the Dalalana School of Public Health. Dr. Furness, welcome back to the show. How are you this morning? Good morning. I'm well. Thank you. Uh, The OMA warns of this triple threat. So we have COVID, we have RSV, we have the flu. It's going to impact hospitals across the province. Uh, Are physicians bracing for impact at this point? Well, I think they need to be. Uh, there's there's no question that the data we're seeing are really concerning. Uh, unprecedented, I think, is a good word, especially among the youngest kids. And I think when we're talking about mask mandates, the first question ought to be, are we okay with a record number of infants struggling to breathe? I think that's got to be the starting point for having a conversation. We're getting a lot of comments on social media uh, through emails that, listen, we had the mask mandates and they served a purpose, but because kids in particular we're wearing masks the last couple of years. That's why RSV rates are higher now. Is that true or false? It is very false. There's no question that's false. Let's. There's a kernel of truth in there, and that is that the first time when you're a baby, the first time you get RSV, the first time you get influenza, it can hit you hard. And there was a period of time where we had kids uh, isolated, where we had schools closed, where we didn't see flu circulating, and and so there would be a, 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 there would be more uh, toddlers and infants getting this stuff for the first time, and so. A small number of them will get way more sick. This happens every year. We have some kids in hospital with RSV. RSV kills is the top killer of kids under one year old, so it's it's to be taken seriously. But that doesn't even come close to explaining what we're seeing. All right, which is by the way much less RSV, but kids getting much sicker with it, and that's something that's really important. Do we know why that's happening? Well, the the most likely cause is is not that we have been taking care of ourselves and not getting sick. That's not it. That's not how the immune system works. The most likely cause is that there are viruses, COVID is one, measles is another, that actually harms your immune system. So you get measles or you get COVID and you get over it. And what you don't know is that your immune system is impaired, impaired for some period of time. Measles does a very dreadful job. The worst part about measles is the lack of immunity you have afterwards. COVID, we still don't have it all figured out. We know some of the mechanisms by which COVID actively harms the immune system. If you're a virus, it's a smart strategy. To be honest, you want to infect, well, you know, you mutate to fool your Im- the immune system, but if you can also trash the immune system, that that's also a very effective strategy. That seems to be what it's doing. Not in everybody, but it doesn't have to be in everybody. It only has to be in one in a thousand people. And that one in a thousand people in a province as big as in Ontario is going to cause uh, a giant amount of suffering and death.
We have one more minute with epidemiologist Dr. Colin Furness here on GMH on 900 CHML. Politically, I cannot see the provincial government reinstituting a mask mandate, but should it? Well, once upon a time, suffering children was not a political question, and I would I would suggest again that it shouldn't be. Uh, we certainly have been messaging Ontarians that there's no pandemic, that COVID is over, that freedom matters more than uh, personal responsibility. So we've been messaging the public to not want this sort of safety, and safety has been has been marginalized. That's what we've done. Uh, I think we need to start undoing it. Dr. Furness, really appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for chiming in. My pleasure, thanks. That is Dr. Colin Furness, epidemiologist, assistant professor at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Information and the Dalalana School of Public Health. To mask or to not, I'm seeing more and more people with masks. I've been I've been wearing mine in the grocery store. You know, I, I just, I don't know, I just feel better. I feel more protected. That might sound a little weird. More still to come here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Student associations across Ontario are challenging the government as well as post-secondary institutions to fix what they're calling inequitable actions toward international students and ever-increasing tuition fees. Later on this morning, they are going to be at Queen's Park for a peaceful protest, and the hashtag need or greed may just be trending on social media later on today. Ashik Ashik is the president of the Mohawk Students Association and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Ashik, good morning. How are you today? Good. How are you, Rick? I'm good. Am I saying your name correctly? Yes, you are. Excellent. Um, I know that international students pay more in tuition than domestic students, but I did not know the disparity was that wide. I mean, these numbers are kind of shocking. Yes, they are. So if I can talk more about it, I'd be happy to share. Absolutely. I mean, the average international student in this province pays just over 14000 compared to about 3000 for domestic students. I mean, that, that's a wide disparity. Yes, it is. So when we look into the breakdown, right, the average international student pays around 14300 for tuition, whereas a domestic student with the subsidized uh, amount from the uh, government pays $12,800, which is uh, clearly $1,500 difference. So when we look at 1976, which surprisingly, they were paying the same amount. So it has been a significant, um, you know, disparity of tuition costs in these many years. So we, I think as the essays and um, voice of the students, it's high time for us to come together to, uh, you know, to highlight that disparity. So what is the message going to be uh, later on today at Queen's Park? Though, so the you know some of the goals that we are proposing with this campaign would be our main message, and you know. Um, the main uh, important message would be implement an international tuition fees for the 2023-2024 academic year and cap future tuition increases for international students to generally 3% per year, the same limit as domestic students. And also implement cohort tuition pricing to create predictable tuition costs for all, eliminate the uh, international student recovery fee and improve fine, uh, provincial post-secondary funding to Ontario colleges and index to inflation. Um, I just have two more two more points, uh, which is introduce transparent reporting of tuition revenue and its coalition, eliminate differential tuition up to subsidized value of domestic students through a multi-year phased-in approach. These are our goals of the campaign, and that would resonate the uh, message going on. Will be uh, going on in the Queen's Park as well. One of those you just mentioned, capping tuition increases for international students to about three percent per year, which is the same as domestic students. And right Except- now, those tuition 
fee increases for international students could be as high as like 20%, right? Exactly. So when you look at the math, right, it's $100 for domestic students, whereas for international students, it's $2,800. So that's a huge difference, wow. right? Ashik Ashik is the president of the Mohawk Students Association and is our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Do we know how the pandemic kind of changed the game or did it have an impact at all in terms of how many international students are coming back and how much more are they paying? So uh, we don't have a, uh, you know, exact amount or exact number, but significantly um, during the pandemic, yes, there was a decline in, you know, um, the admissions or the enrollment of international students. But as we are post-pandemic right now, we are seeing a steady incline in uh, international students coming back to Canada for their higher studies. One of the other factors in this is affordable housing, and we know there's not much of it in this city and in many other cities across Ontario. How has that uh, thrown a curveball to some of these international students who may not be staying at a residence on campus? So I'm not sure up to what extent that affects, but, you know, um, and along with the um, in the the tuition fees, of course, there is uh, prices compounded by inflation of precarious housing situations restricted to uh, access employing hours as well. So um, not sure how much I can answer to that question, but yes, it affects uh, a lot as well. Do we know if this has, you know, if these price increases or this price point has impacted enrollment when it comes to international students? Are are fewer of them enrolling in Canadian uh, post-secondary institutions? I don't have an exact answer for that, Rick. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. What is the general sentiment when you're talking with other international students and how they're feeling? They are feeling uh, great. They are feeling supported. They are feeling their voices are being heard. And, um, you know, the happy thing is that we have a great allyship with our domestic students as well. So the domestic students have also come forward to support international students, which is great. Is there other financial supports that they can tap into? There would be financial supports, different, uh, you know, uh, varies from colleges. And I'm not sure uh, what are the external um, funding help that is available for international students, but from colleges or from the essays, there would be some kind of, not a huge sort of financial help, but some kind of, uh, such as bursaries or award or scholarship or something like that. But not of that, yeah. Last one for you. I know you have a number of different uh, items that you want to achieve. Is there one that is most important that if, if, if the government or post-secondary institutions just did one, what would that one be at the top of the list? I would say cap it to three person as the same uh, as normal six students. Well, that would help a lot of people. That is for sure. Ashik Ashik, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Have a great day. You too. Ashik Ashik is the president of the Mohawk Students Association. I'm sure a flood of students will be at Queen's Park today for the need or greed celebration, rally, peaceful protest, whatever they're calling it, uh, to uh, demand a cap on those ever-increasing tuition fees. Yeah, international students paying upwards of fourteen grand for tuition compared to about 3200 for the average domestic student. That is a big, big gap. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It's not quite Christmas time. We're about a month and a half away. Certainly some are getting into the spirit, that is for sure. Including the city of St. Catharines, where just like in Hamilton, that city is going to be setting up a nativity scene this Christmas. But some people are asking why. Oh, why, sweet baby Jesus? Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. 
When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good. St. Catherine's Council voting 6-5 to five the other day to install the, the nativity scene on the lawn of City Hall. And it has extended the same courtesy to other religious groups on the re- recommendation of city staff. Now, the city, St. Catharines, has displayed the nativity scene since 1965, but it was kept packed away over the past couple of years. And city staff recommending that we should be respectful to all faiths, so maybe pack it up. Well, it's coming back. Saleh Waziruddin is the chair of St. Catharines' Anti-Racism Advisory Committee and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Saleh, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Rick. I'm doing okay. As you said, I'm Saleh Waziruddin, chair of the city of St. Catharines Anti-Racism Advisory Committee. And I know we were all supposed to turn our clocks back an hour, but it looks like some of us overshot that by a few years. Because <laughs> we've been going backwards, it looks like, in St. Catharines, while some of us are trying to get the city just to catch up to the rest of the world. So, and, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, it's fair to say you don't want the nativity scene on display once again. That's right. The Anti-Racism Advisory Committee, you know, we didn't know that this motion was going to come up, but just to be preemptive in case it did, we talked about it extensively and had a resolution saying it's not being inclusive. And actually, there's a committee between us and the City Council called the Social Sustainability Committee, and that met and took a vote on it. It was a four to two vote agreeing uh, to recommend City Council not uh, bring this nativity scene back. And it's not a war on Christmas, but it's a, it's uh, against um, not the city not being inclusive of all of us. So the city has said that they're extending the same courtesy to other religious groups. Is that an empty comment on their part? Exactly. You, you can't make it in- inclusive by inviting other faiths. Um, people who think that are only fooling themselves and, and the rest of us aren't buying it. You know, you might get three or four f- other faiths to piggyback off Christianity and I say piggybacking because many faiths don't have a tradition of having a display or di- diorama, so they're just going to have to come up with something. But there's many other faith communities that are just so small, they don't have time or resources to make a display. And how are you going to do one representing agnostics or atheists? You know, it's, 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 uh, but even worse, there was the, there's the idea being pushed that a nativity scene is inclusive, but it's exclusively Christian. It has to do with a part, uh, with part of a belief that it's exclusively Christian. So there's no way it's inclusive by itself, and there's no way you can make it inclusive by inviting others. That sounds good on paper, but in reality, you're not going to represent all the faiths or people who choose not to follow a faith. The question is in this story: Is should the city be a city, whatever the city is, be responsible for displaying religious installments? You're absolutely right, and that came up in the social sustainability committee meeting. And just to um, give a real illustration, one St. Catherine's resident has already told me they're putting in a request for a satanic display. So with all respect to our Satanist residents in St. Catherine's, how is the city going to decide which faiths to accept or not? You know, city government or any government should have no business with faiths and religions this way. These displays don't belong in city properties in the first place. And as has been pointed out, there's you know, so many churches, especially around City Hall, that are going to have these displays. Uh, th- there's no reason for it to be on City Hall, city properties. The The counter-argument is, listen, this nativity scene has been on display since, I mentioned, 1965. It's not hurting anybody because, hey, it's it's baby Jesus, it's nativity, we've had this forever. Your, your response to that? 
Well, you know, there's there's people um, pushing an agenda th uh, that uh, uh, Canada is a Christian country, just like there's other people pushing an agenda that we're a white country, and both of those ideas come from colonialism. Just because one religion or one race is the majority, and that's a result of colonialism, doesn't mean it belongs only to one faith or one um, one race, or that it's more Canadian than the rest of us. After Indigenous people, we all belong equally here. So we're, it's it's uh, you, some people might think, oh, it's it's the majority and it's not hurting anybody, but actually, people who follow other faith traditions get the message from looking at that that we belong less that the city government is um, promoting or establishing uh, the majority faith uh, uh, faith community. And uh, th there's, there's no way that they can uh, promote that with, with including everybody else, so it shouldn't be done. I can understand why many feel that way. Soleil, we'll have to leave it there. We're out of time, but I appreciate your time today. Thanks. I just wanted to clarify, again, this is not a, a war on Christmas, but it's about being inclusive to everybody. Thanks for having me on. As you said, I'm Soleil Wazirudin, Chair of the City of St. Catharines, Anti-Racism Advisory Committee. Excellent. Thanks, Alay. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It's not a war on Christmas, but it's a, it's um, against um, not the city not being inclusive of all of us. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Soleil Wazirudin, Chair of the St. Catharines Anti-Racism Advisory Committee, on with us just moments ago talking about this nativity scene coming back to the city of St. Catharines City Hall after a two-year absence councillors voting six to five to bring it back, install it on the lawn of City Hall. It's also extended the same courtesy to other religious groups. But some people are saying, including Soleil, that the city's kind of missing the point in this whole thing. Carrie Porter is a councillor with the city of St. Catharines and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Carrie, good morning. Welcome to GMH. How are you today? I'm really good. How are you today? Not too bad. How did you vote on this issue? I... I... I think this is the most ridiculous issue. This is my last council meeting because I'm not running again, and I'm very disappointed that such a silly issue came before us. I don't think it belongs in City Hall, and we have three churches within a stone's throw of our City Hall, and it would have been much more appropriate to uh, gift that nativity set to one of those churches. I, I think about this issue and I think, you know, should a city be responsible, any city really, be responsible for installing a religious display? I mean, that's what churches and synagogues and temples and the like are for, right? Yes. And from my vantage point, this was a coordinated uh, political move. We had three people running for mayor. Two of them were very religious, and one one mayoral candidate in St. Catharines actually had a big cross on his car and wanted to bring Jesus back to City Hall. He literally campaigned on that. And we started receiving emails and messages during the election campaign about this. And you know, one of the issues that I brought up is I didn't hear from most of these people for four years on any issue. And I asked a question during the council meeting, what would Jesus do on this issue? Would, would, would he really care about this? Or would this be the issue that he would want a Christian to email their government about? Or would he rather uh, people email about the fact that Ontario works rates are $733, um, ODSP rates and Ontario works rates really need to increase, and you know, we have a housing crisis. And so this also came with uh, um, an addition to an amendment to the motion to add a staff 
person to this job, which I think is also outrageous. <laughs> when our city staff are scrambling, we, we have an under-resourced city hall, and I believe that that money would be more appropriate and probably more um, inclusive if we, for example, invested in a planning position for affordable housing. Yeah, as you mentioned, That's what Jesus would do, in my opinion. Yeah, as you mentioned during the meeting the other day, and again, we're talking with Carrie Porter, councillor, city of St. Catharines. Uh, I think the quote was, "Jesus wouldn't care about this issue. There are bigger fish to fry." Exactly. There are so many bigger fish to fry. There is so many more uh, simple solutions to this, and this isn't really an issue, and it it's really not a problem. So I'm a part-time city councillor. I have a full-time job, and I work in housing and homelessness, and so I. I worked at not-for-profits. I, before this job, I worked at the, the charity, the not-for-profit that actually ran the out-of-the-cold shelter. So there was a lot of talk about, about charity, and this is why we put the, the nativity scene on City Hall, and we, you know, we need to thank our churches for all the charity. And I certainly am very appreciative of volunteers and the charitable work and all the things that churches do in this community. But charity also needs justice. So I was I was having a real struggle with this as well because I really I really do want um, religious people and people who believe in the Jesus, the Jesus that I know and understand, to fight for justice and an end to suffering for people. It's not just about charity. So that was part of the discussion as well. And my my other comment is that this is the whitest nativity scene. I've ever seen. I made a joke that the baby Jesus looks like my council colleague when he was a baby. So it, honestly, our nativity scene is a good representation. Um, Joseph and Mary and Jesus were from the Levant, and, you know, they should have brown skin and curly hair. So I, you know, if this comes back on City Hall, I hope something's done about that as well. Carrie, appreciate your thoughts on this topic, and uh, best of luck going forward. Thanks so much. That's Carrie Porter, Councillor, City of St. Catharines. I'm sure Jesus would be much, or whatever higher power you believe in, would be much more in tune with what's happening in terms of helping each other out, loving one another, being inclusive, um, sharing in our, and, and, and really exploring each other's diversity and, and uh, championing that. Uh, a nativity scene, I'm sure he could care less about Oh my gosh, they're taking down the nativity scene. They'll forget about me. No, baby Jesus, we will not forget about you. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There's a group of McMaster University engineering students who've won an award over their developments of a new helpful tool for people with Parkinson's disease. This little contraption is called Taco. But it's not something that you put in your mouth and you eat and is very, very delicious. No, this is a metal device that allows people with Parkinson's to safely cut food in the kitchen. It's kind of cool. Angela Assis is the president of Parkinson's Canada and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Angelica, how are you today? Good morning. I'm good. Thank you for having me. How cool is this contraption? Very cool. We're really excited. And first of all, congratulations to the students at McMaster for this amazing invention. Um, 100,000 Canadians uh, live with Parkinson's and they feel that there's a loss of independence and there's mobility issues and something like this is really critical to give them that sense of 
independence, that sense of joy back to their day-to-day lives. So it's really it's really great to read about this story. And, and not only is that independence in the kitchen crucial, but that also provides a, a little bit of, I would say, relief when it comes to uh, a safety component. Absolutely. Yeah. So tremor, rigidity, these are common symptoms that we see in people with living with Parkinson's. Something like this certainly helps with safety uh, when using tools like a kitchen knife, for sure. When you first saw the taco and saw it in use, what came to mind? Just that, you know, something as simple as this uh, device could really bring back so much joy. Again, that sense of independence, that sense of empowerment to do things that um, bring happiness to people living with Parkinson's. And it, it reinstills the idea that living with Parkin- life with Parkinson's is still possible and, and doing things that make you happy, like cooking. What are some of the other things in and around the home that uh, someone without Parkinson's wouldn't necessarily seem as a big hurdle, but those who have it, they might struggle with? Everyday things like buttoning your shirt or... Um, you know, doing day-to-day tasks, brushing teeth, um, everyday things that that would come easy to uh, people without living with Parkinson's uh, is difficult for someone and, and takes a lot longer. So just basic everyday tasks, I would say. Are there other contraptions like taco on the market that people with Parkinson's can rely on? I'm not familiar, not to my knowledge, no, but, you know, there are, uh, at Parkinson Canada, we do have programs and services, um, a programs and services arm that support people with day-to-day living, and that includes uh, connecting them with support groups and other people living with Parkinson's and their care partners so that they can learn more about uh, some of the tools that are available uh, for everyday living. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Angelica Assis, the president of Parkinson's Canada. What is the status of Parkinson's in this nation? There are 100,000 people uh, living with Parkinson's in Canada and 30 more are diagnosed every day. And and there are still people out there who we may not know uh, are living with Parkinson's as it is very difficult to diagnose. So it's critical that we continue to fund research into better understanding the disease and and learning how to diagnose uh, Parkinson's uh, as early as possible. I also understand it's one of the fastest growing diseases, not only in Canada, but around the world. Do we know why that is? Absolutely. I think a big component is um, we are living with an aging population. People are getting older, uh, living longer, and age is a big uh, risk factor for Parkinson's. So as people get older, their risk to develop Parkinson's does increase, among other factors that we're still learning more about. So I think just that aging population is adding to the increasing numbers. I know there's not a cure, but what treatments are out there for people with Parkinson's? So there aren't, unfortunately, any um, therapies that we call disease modifying, so that slow the progression of Parkinson's or alter the disease course. But there are uh, treatments available to manage the day-to-day symptoms, one being uh, levodopa. So that's a common treatment that is offered to people to manage their day-to-day symptoms. I know research dollars are always critical, obviously. If someone wants to donate some money uh, or maybe even volunteer with Parkinson's Canada, how can they go about doing that? Absolutely. Um, um, Financial support is critical to the mission of Parkinson Canada, and it helps to fuel groundbreaking research, helps to support programs and services and our advocacy efforts. So if someone wants to donate or get involved, uh, we invite them to visit our website, parkinson.ca, to learn more about some of this work that we're doing. Great stuff, Angelica. Really appreciate your time. Best of luck going forward. Okay, thank you for having me. Angelica Assis is the president of Parkinson's Canada. By the way, those Mac students won an award Uh, $8,500 came with the award, and apparently they're going to use that money to develop the product, uh, get a patent for it, bring it to the market. Um, It could be in your corner store or in your favorite uh, uh, store that you shop in uh, within the next year, which is kind of cool. And it's happening right here 
in Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We decided to try to tell her story and uh, to, as Jennifer would say to me, maybe create a little ripple out there, a ripple of generosity, uh, a ripple that might uh, allow people to see beauty in, obviously, in, in the nice moments, but more importantly, to have the strength and the courage to see beauty in the more difficult moments in life. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. That's the voice of Peter Simons. He's the chief merchant for Simons, a Quebec fashion retailer, which has released a, a really unique, very different marketing campaign, which includes medically assisted dying, or at least that's the message involved in this campaign. So they released a video last month. It's called All is Beauty, and it features and is narrated by uh, Jennifer Hatch of British Columbia. The 37-year-old Hatch died on October the 23rd and chose medical assistance in dying after suffering from a rare disease. Now, she hoped that this video would broaden people's awareness on the importance of dying in a humane way. And the three-minute video, which has been released... Uh, as I said, I, I think it was October 24th, has been watched already more than a million times on YouTube. So the message is getting out there. The question is, from a marketing standpoint, will this encourage more people to shop at Simon's? Mark Gordon is the customer experience expert and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Mark, what do you make of this campaign? It is a very odd campaign for a number of reasons. Uh, first off, aside from the subject matter, there doesn't seem to be an angle to it. A lot of um, businesses who take social causes uh, tend to be attracted to those causes that are in sync with their values, whether it be, a, uh, let's say, an energy company wanting to take more of an environmental approach or a food company wanting to re- uh, reduce wastage. But all of a sudden, you end up with a department store uh, that's getting people to want to talk about medically-assisted death at the same time they're shopping for shoes and underwear. Yeah, it's really confusing. You know, I I instantly thought of the Dove commercials that looked at, you know, body shaming and body beauty. And, you know, that that is, as you said, in sync with what they already deliver. This is a clothing store discussing a very, very serious issue. And Simon says that they think the customers are going to appreciate the unconventional move. I think it's a I think it's a disconnect. I, I totally agree. I think it is a disconnect as well. Uh, I mean, number one, it's a very, very polarizing subject, obviously. So the problem is, in, in many cases, people not only look at the message, but they look at the messenger. And we live in a world now where often the messenger is viewed as someone who's uh, endorsing that message. They're, they're not just a, an impartial deliverer of information. So if you look on the comments on their YouTube video, a lot of people are saying that not only do they uh, condemn the video and the message and the whole angle of it, but as such, they're no longer going to do business with Simons. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, you are also getting people who think that the message is important, something to be discussed. But as we mentioned a few minutes ago, there's that disconnect. So from a marketing perspective, I really have to wonder what Simons was hoping to do, because are people going to watch this video and say, wow, that's great. I had no idea about medically assisted suicide and, and what it involves. I think I'm going to go buy my next shirt at Yeah. Emotion in advertising, uh, things that are inspirational can be certainly effective. This is, can be, uh, depending on what side of the equation you're on, an inspirational message. But again, that that connection with, hey, now shop with us after watching this video, there's, as I said, a bit of a disconnect. But the use of emotion in advertising can be powerful, right? Oh, very powerful. But ideally, you want it to be uh, an emotion that either 
builds support for a cause or ideally builds support for the business that's delivering the message. In this case, you're getting emotions on, on both ends, you know, for or against the message. But are the positive messages going to translate into sales? And I'm beginning to think that perhaps Simon saw this more some kind of altruistic public service announcement that really had nothing to do with any kind of, of marketing angle. That seems to be the only thing. If you watch that video that you played briefly at the beginning, uh, the, the chief, uh, I believe, financial officer said that he just wanted to create ripples. There didn't seem to be any real angle with regards to business building. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't imagine other retailers, other companies are going to follow this lead here. Uh, I would agree. I don't think you're going to see uh, Coca-Cola come out with a, an anti-child abuse program or, or, or uh, campaign at any time soon. Yeah, I don't see it either. Mark, appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Rick. Take care. That is Mark Gordon, the customer experience expert. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.